Today, as we continue our study in the book of Acts, we are continuing our study of the church. And as we do today, we see this strange truth. We see this weird truth, and that is this. The greatest threat to the church is not from outside the church. Now, we tend to think that it is. We tend to think the greatest threat is going to be an atheist or some militant group or maybe a, a liberal judge that is opposed to the church. And we think that the, the greatest threat against the church is going to be looming somewhere outside of the church. But in reality, the truth is the greatest threat to the church is not from outside the church, but rather it is from inside the church. Friends, we need to be aware of that. We need to be very understanding of that. Today in 2019, the greatest threat to the church are inside, lurking inside the church. Now let me just tell you, when I hear that, that is weird. When I hear that, that is a, a strange thing. I want to tell you honestly, that should not be so. If you think about the church, that should not be the truth, and yet that is the truth. Our message today is entitled, Are You Serious? We're in Acts chapter 4. We're going to close out the end of chapter 4, verses 36 and 37, and then Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Again, a, a set of verses starting in Acts 4, verse 36, and then concluding in Acts chapter 5, verse 11. Are you serious? I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 36, God's Word says this. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep some back, some back some of the price of the lamb? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard it. The young men got up and covered him up, and carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together? to put the spirit of the Lord to test. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we are thankful for you. We're thankful 
for the beautiful star of Bethlehem. We're thankful for our Savior, Jesus. We're thankful for a hope that we have today, the, the forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful for the church that you have instituted, the church that you have blessed us with. We're thankful for the directing that you give the church through your holy word. Lord, I pray today as we study that you would speak to us. I pray as we, as we look into your word that it would be a supernatural event. Lord, I pray that, that we that exist in the church today would be equipped today, would be encouraged today, would be enlightened, emboldened today. And I pray that the, the fruit of all that would be the furtherance of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we do come and tell you we love you, we worship you, we exalt you today. We give all these things to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would work in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. What will destroy a church? What is it that will destroy a church? Now, that's a pretty good question to consider today. Did you ever think about that? What is it that would destroy a church? Well, here's what we see. Again, it is not something from the outside. It is not. Be sure it is not something from the outside. In fact, throughout history, anytime the attack is from the outside, the church seems to thrive. Anytime the church is from the outside, the church seems to just get stronger. And, and all the way through the New Testament, if you pressure the church, if you persecute the church, the church just gets stronger. The church just grows. You come and you threaten the apostles and you threaten them with their very lives and they just get bolder. And guess what? The church grows as the gospel goes out. You come and you stone Stephen and, and you, you threaten them further and that, that example's there, very real in the air and, and guess what the church does? It, it gets bolder and the, the gospel is spread and the church grows. What is it that destroys the church? It is not something from the outside. What destroys the church? Here's what I believe. I believe it is two things on the inside. I believe it is two things on the inside. I believe first it is false teaching. I believe that is the biggest threat to the church. False teaching, a deviation of the truth, a leaving of the truth, the entering in of falsehood. I believe if you wanna destroy a church, you let it fall into false teaching. I believe it is false teaching and second, I believe it is false people, false People. I, I think we see false teachers and false people, both of those things in the inside of the church are the biggest dangers to the church. Now, I want you to listen today. These are, these are real problems. These are real issues. These are destroying real churches, false people and the impact of false people and false teachings and the impact of false teaching. These are destroying churches today. These are real issues today. But let me tell you, here's the problem. I don't think we're gonna hear any sermons on either of those issues. 
I think that is a real threat. I think it is, it is capsizing. It is turning over churches. And I can almost promise you, you will not hear sermons on false teachers or false teachings. And even more than that, you will not hear sermons about false people in the church today. Now, as we move through Acts, if we're actually going to go verse by verse, here's the thing. We can't avoid either of those subjects. As we move through Acts, if we're actually going to go verse by verse, I think that is the good thing about preaching through verses. We're not going to be able to be faithful to the Word of God and escape either one of those subjects. And so I'll just tell you, I believe this morning with a subject that most folks, most churches wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole, I believe God is going to teach our church today. He is going to instruct our church Today, Okay, so now let's go to the verses. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 36. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who is also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. Verse 36, we are introduced for the very first time to a, to a really great guy. Bible says he is a Levite. He is the tribe of the tribe of Levi. It says he's from the island of Cyprus. That is where Paul evidently runs into him. He is originating. He comes from the island of Cyprus. The Bible says of this guy, his name is Joseph. That is his name. And yet a weird thing has incurred. He has now been nicknamed Barnabas. And so we're introduced to the man Barnabas. His name is Joseph, but he has taken on the name, the Bible says, Barnabas, which literally means son of encouragement. Now, when we come across Barnabas through the pages of, of church history, we see that he is encouraging believers. We see that he is encouraging the new churches that are, that are starting. He is upholding the truth. More than that, we see that he is an encouragement to Paul. And as Paul goes and carries out his ministry, Barnabas is a great encouragement to Paul. It's a pretty radical thing that this guy, Joseph, served the church to the point that they actually began to call him by a new name, Barnabas. In Acts chapter 11, it says, describing Barnabas, he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And so when they describe Barnabas, this man, he is a good man. And he is full of faith and he's full of the Holy Spirit. And I, I, I want to tell you what that means. Full of the Holy Spirit means that he is led by the Holy Spirit. He is marked by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, what that means is that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, those are the things that are exuded by this man Barnabas. He is full of the Holy Spirit. And if you find him, he's going to be directed by God. And if you're around him, he is going to exude these characteristics of God. He is full of love and joy and peace. And if you're around him very long, you're going to see patience and you're going to see kindness. And those are the things that are going to come out of Barnabas. He is an awesome blessing to believers. He gives joy to believers. His name actually means he instills courage 
in believers. If you're around him, if you're down, he's going to lift you up. If you're wondering if this even matters, he's going to let you know this is the truth of what God has said and he instills courage in believers. So much so that they change his name. Be very sure today, we should all aspire to be Barnabas's. We should all aspire to be Barnabas's. You want a you goal for next year? Sometimes we make some ridiculous New Year's resolutions. You want a New Year's resolution? You want a goal for next year? I want to encourage you to live in a way. Live, listen, I'm talking to you. Live in a way that someone says, we're going to start to call them joy. We're going to start to call them peace. Live in a way they say, well, all I can do is call them happiness. All I can, I can do is call them kindness. Wouldn't you like to live in a way that they say, we're not going to call you your name anymore. You're known as kindness. They actually changed his name to son of encouragement. We ought to endeavor to be the same, to live in a way that they called us by a different name. All right, verse 37. Here's this guy, Barnabas, verse 36, verse 37. He who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He owned a piece of land. Another translation says a field of land. He, he sells the tract of land. He sells the field and he brought the money from it. And the Bible says he places it at the apostles' feet. Now notice he doesn't direct them what to do with it. By placing it at their feet, he's going to trust their discernment, take that, and use it for the furtherance of the kingdom. Listen, that was his heart. There's no instruction to do that. No one says, hey, sell the farm and bring it in here. He takes the farm, he sells it, he takes all of the money for it from it, and the priority of his heart is to lay it at the apostles' feet for the use of the church. Very simply, verse 37, this good man, this great man has done a good thing. Simple as that. He's done a good thing. When we move to chapter 5, next comes a strange account. Next comes a very hard account and really one that is very hard to grasp, hard to understand. And yet I want you to see today it is very profound for us in the church today. It is very meaningful for us in the church today. Chapter 5, verse 1. Starts off and it says, but. Now I want to pause here for a second. Here is this good man, and he is a great guy, and he is an encouragement to the church. He builds up the church, and he sells his land, and he places it at the feet of the apostles. But is a word of contrast. Now, I don't know if it's a contrast in action. It for sure is. I don't know maybe if it's a contrast in character. It has to be. But here is Barnabas, and but now here is this contrast. All right, verse 1. But a man named Ananias, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Now, let me say this as we start to talk about Ananias and Sapphira. I believe they're believers. I do. Some, some would debate that. I believe they're part of the church. When you read this, they're counted as part of the church. I believe from the language of the entire account, as it talks about the Holy Spirit, I believe they are believers. It says the man Ananias, the wife of Sapphira, sold a piece 
of property. Now, I want to I say this as we move into the account. Believers sin. Do you understand that? Believers sin. And sometimes believers enter into grievous sin, into heavy sin. And we're going to see God's response to that. But, but, but understand today, I think these folks are believers, and believers can be misled. Believers can go the wrong way. Believers do sin. All right, verse 2. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Verse 1. Now verse 2. And kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now see this. Barnabas sold his farm and he brought all of the money and the people see that. They see his heart. They see his good deeds. They see his character is revealed. Well, these two come along and they sell their farm, their land, and the Bible says they only bring a part of the money. They do not bring a, a, a total of the money. They do not bring it all. Now, the Greek word here, I think it's an indication for what is going on here. The Greek word means to pilfer, to pull out of, or it, it comes really to the basic understanding of to steal. And so it doesn't say they sold it but only brought part of the proceeds. It says that they sold it and they pilfered part of the proceeds. I think that is very telling. They, they, they sell it and they steal, they take, they pull out of part of the proceeds. Now watch as the account unfolds, verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Now, in verse 3, he's not possessed by Satan. Be sure of that. He has been led by Satan. He has been influenced by Satan. Now, he's not possessed by him, but he is influenced by Satan. And that brings me to the very first point of the message today, and that is this. Satan is serious about the church. Satan is serious about the church. We need to understand that. That's the first point I believe we're taking out of these verses. Satan is serious. He is very serious. He is dead serious about the church. You see, he could not defeat Jesus. He thought he could, but the resurrection fixed that. The resurrection proved that. He could not defeat Jesus, but now what he can do, he can turn his attention to the church, and where he could not defeat Jesus, perhaps he could derail the church. Perhaps he could stop the church. Perhaps he could kill the church. And if he stops the church, you know what? He stops the good news about Jesus. And so where he failed in stopping Jesus, all of his attention now, listen, is a, is a focus on stopping the church. Folks, we need to be very serious of that. We need to be very certain about that. Satan is deadly serious about the destruction of the church. Understand, Satan is deadly serious about the demise and the destruction of the church. I'm going to tell you a very personal story. 
Eight years ago, we had a guest preacher. It was a guy, his name was Sam Cathy, and he came for a weekend. Some of you may remember that. Came for a Friday and a Saturday and for a Sunday, and it was a great, it was a great weekend. It was an awesome weekend. He was 80 years old when he came. Uh, since this, he's passed on, and he, he's now in heaven. Um, but he was, about eight, he was 80 years old when he came, and, and he came, and here's what he said. First thing he said when he got here is he said, son, I'm 80 years old, and I could go down at any minute. And so you need to go ahead and prepare to finish the sermon that I'm preaching. Now that's very intimidating. I don't know what sermon you're preaching, but he said, I could go down at any minute, and you just come and you finish what I'm preaching. Next thing he did is he said, um, am I preaching on Sunday night? He's, he's 80 years old. He's from the other side, top, top side of Oklahoma City. And I said, Brother Kathy, I will preach Sunday night. Now, you do Friday night, Saturday night, and two services Sunday morning. We'll have a great lunch, and you go back Sunday night. You can drive back Sunday night, and I'll preach Sunday night. And he said, Son, uh, if I'm going to be here Sunday morning, I'm going to preach Sunday night too. And I said, Okay, you're going to preach Sunday night. Mr. Kathy, uh, how, how do we pay you? And I remember this. He said, I'd like to get my gas money, but if not, that's fine. You do what you think's right. That's what he said. Guy came, and it was an awesome weekend. He, he loved it. Our services were full. I remember that Friday evening service. It was full. Had a great time. The music was awesome. We baptized uh, Sunday morning in our services. Decisions were made over the course of that weekend. It was an awesome, awesome weekend, a great time. And he loved it. He loved it. He came into my office uh, Saturday afternoon. He said he preached over 2,500 revivals in his lifetime. He said those used to go a week. Some of them used to go two weeks. He said, I can tell you I did something that went three weeks long. 2,500 revivals. And he came in my office and he said, I have not been in a church like this in over 20 years. I have not been in a church like this in over 20 years. And, and before he preached that Saturday evening, it was he was in my office and the guy that traveled with him, it was just the three of us. And he said, God is in your church. God is in your church. This is a true story. It's what he said. He said, I go to places and they got problems and they got issues and you got to preach for three or four days to get, get things sorted out and get people's attention in the right place. And he said, when I walked in your church, God is in your church. And then he did something I've never seen he said, young man, Satan is coming for you. And he began to cry. And he began to sob. And then he fell on his knees. True story. He fell on his knees in my office. And he said, Satan, young man, is coming for you. And we've got to pray. Never forgotten that. Satan is coming for you. Let me tell you something. He has, and he did, and I do not expect that he will stop. Here's the truth. Satan is dead serious about the destruction of the gospel-preaching church 
of Jesus Christ. He cannot stand it. He cannot tolerate it. If he's going to do anything in these days, listen, he's not going around just trying to mess you around. He's not going around trying to cause you inconvenience. He's not worried about, I'll give them the flu and they'll have a bad attitude this week. He is dead serious about the demise of the gospel preaching church of Jesus Christ. Satan is serious about the church. Verse four. While it remained unsold, Peter continues, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that after, why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, verse four is really the key to understanding the whole thing. We understand the account because of verse four. Now, I want you to understand this. This isn't about money. It isn't about giving. Now, our finance committee wishes that it were. Our giving would go up next week. This isn't about money. This isn't about giving. It is about hypocrisy. Listen very carefully. The Bible says in verse 4 that the farm was his. He didn't have to sell it. Listen, the farm was already his. He didn't have to sell it. After he sold it, the money was his. He didn't have to give it. After he sold it, that money was in his account. He didn't have to give it. But see this today. He saw the good reputation of Barnabas. He saw the good esteem that was given to Barnabas and he didn't, didn't want to give all the money. He just wanted to act like he did. And that was his sin. I want you to get this this morning. One of the greatest dangers of the church of Jesus Christ is that people who are saved by the truth, people who are to carry the truth, and that is our mission, those that are, that are agents of the truth themselves would live their life as a lie. Understand there is no room for hypocrisy in the church. Listen to me, it's hard. There is no room for false people in the church of Jesus Christ. There's no room for that hypocrisy. That's hard to say today. We say, well, there's room for everybody in the church. There's room for everybody in this church. Listen, there is no room. This is what God is showing us for hypocrisy and for falseness and false people in the church that is upholding the truth of Jesus Christ. Peter says, you haven't lied to men. See, that was his sin. You haven't lied to men. You thought you were faking out the men. You have lied to God. Verse five. Listen to this. And as he heard these words, they're still echoing in the air. And an ice fell down and breathed his last. He died and great fear came over all who heard it. Some say, and I've heard this, that it was the stress and embarrassment of the situation that caused him to have a heart attack and he died. I've heard that the stress of the situation, the, the, the embarrassment of the situation uh, caused him to have a heart attack and he died. Listen very carefully. I, I'm sure it was stressful. I'm sure of that. I'm sure he was embarrassed. I'm sure of that. And I'll tell you, it may have been a heart attack, but I want you to know what happened is this. God in his judgment of sin and more than that, God in his protection of the church took 
him home. That's what I believe happened. Well, gosh. Wow. What, a, what about grace? What, a, what about forgiveness? What about the gospel of, of reconciliation and new starts? My lands. That brings us to the second point, and I want you to hear it this morning. God is serious about his church. God is serious about his church. You see, I, I believe as this new church is beginning, and that's what we're reading here, that the church is forming and the spirit is leading the church and the gospel is going out of the church and we've got crazy things, miraculous, marvelous things happening in the church and where it was 120 people and then a few thousand people and then a multitude of thousands of people as he sees the beginnings of the new church, as the gospel goes out of the church, as the truth is being being established in the church. Do you understand that's what's happening? The truth is being established in the church. The, tr the truth is being proclaimed through the church. God knows how much is riding on the church and so he makes it very, very clear it cannot tolerate the impact of hypocrisy in the church. Listen, friend, God is serious about the church. Listen very carefully, this is real. This is real. This actually happened, these are the facts. You see this guy, he, he thought the church was a thing to use, he misunderstood. He thought the church was a, a place to self-promote and what an awesome thing. They'll think of me what they thought of Barnabas and I'll keep some of this money. He thought the church was a place to self-promote. He thought the church was a thing where image mattered more than your heart. He didn't know that God sees the heart. He thought the church was a place where perception trumped the truth but he found out in this instant God is serious about the church. Listen, God is serious about the church. It's his plan. I don't understand it totally. There's gotta be better plans than this, but it's his plan. God is serious about the church. Now, before we move, I wanna point out something. Remember in verse three, it says, Satan filled his heart. Verse four now says, and yet you conceive this in your heart. You lied. You're the one that lied. You didn't lie to men, you thought you were, you lied to God. Verse three, Satan filled your heart. Verse four, you conceive this in your heart. I wanna be very sure and make a point here. Satan tempts, yes. Satan lures, yes. Satan deceives, yes. He lies, yes. But we sin. We sin. We, we need to understand that. I, we, we've gotten so flippant with sin that we come along and we find ourselves in sin and we say, you know what? Satan made me do it. I was deceived. I wasn't seeing right. Listen, you may have been, but you're the one who sinned. I want you to be very sure today we sin because we want to. Whew, that's hard to say. We sin because we want to. Listen, I may swallow the lie. I may believe the lie, but when I sin, brother, I have sinned and I did it because I want to. Wasn't Satan's fault. You lied, Ananias. You, you did it. Verse six. Verse five, and as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. 
and great fear came over all who heard it. Verse six, the young men got up and covered him up and after carrying him out, they buried him. Pretty, pretty somber deal. Satan is serious about the church. He takes drastic measures to destroy it. God is serious about the church. He takes drastic measures to protect it. They cover him up, they pick him up, they carry him out, and they bury him. God is serious about the church. He takes drastic measures to protect it. Verse 7. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours. And his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Kind of crazy verse. Now there elapsed an interval about three hours and his wife came in not knowing what had happened. It's an interesting thing here in verse 7. The story's not over. The account's not over. And his wife comes, over, comes back. She comes to the gathering of the church. It's been three hours. And Anais is, is dead. He's buried outside. She hasn't heard what has happened. Now, I don't know if she gets close to the church. People are scared to tell her what's happened, but no one tells her what has happened. Three hours later, she comes to the church. She hasn't heard what's happened. Now, I, I don't know where she'd been, but I always think maybe she'd been at Dillard's. <laughs> they had that sorry stuff so long, but now they sold that farm, and she was going to get some nice stuff. And so she comes in, she's got a new purse, and she walks in from Dillard's in verse 8. And Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Peter, Peter asked her, Peter knew what he was doing. Did you bring it all? Was this the price, the price that you brought? Was this the price that you sold it for? Sapphira, is this the story that you're going to stick with? And she says, just like they had rehearsed, just like they had planned, she says, yes, yes, that was the price. Verse 9. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. Crazy, interesting line there says, why have you put the spirit of the Lord to test? Is that the price? Yes, that's the price. That's all of it, that's all of it. Why have you put the spirit of the Lord to test? It means this, why are you testing God? Why are you testing God? Why are you testing to see God's response to sin? Why are you testing to see if God is actually God, if he is actually who he says that he is? Or why are you testing to see if you're gonna be able to push him around and you're gonna be able to say, yes, he hates sin. Yes, Jesus died for sin, but it's a different time right now. We're under God's grace right now and God's not concerned with sin right now. Why are you testing God? I wanna tell you something, church. Yes, we are under grace. And yes, God gives us grace for sin and he forgives that sin if we'll confess it. But And yes, Jesus, in him we have the remedy for sin. But I want to tell you something and I want you to hear me today. Today, right now, God hates sin. 
God abhors sin. God despises to his very core sin. And as much as any time in the past, you'd be very sure today, God is sickened by our sin. Well, he already took care of it. No, he despises, he loathes, he is sickened by your sin. And as flippant as we might want to be about it, he is repulsed in his very core. His nature is so opposed to it that he burns against our sin. God has sin right now and if you're not growing in your hatred of sin if his grace and forgiveness of sin oh I love that if that doesn't cause you to agree with him about sin and I'll just tell you as wicked as it is if you're sitting here in the course of your daily life weighing out how much sin he will tolerate, you've misunderstood the God of our gospel. You've misunderstood the God of our gospel. In fact, you've misunderstood our gospel. If you think that we can live our life and say, you know what, this isn't that bad. Most people are doing worse than this and no one's even going to find out about that and I'll just do a little bit of this and I won't worry about his name. If you're living the course of your life deciding how many cuss words we're going to hear in a movie and how many sex scenes we're going to let our kids watch and how much filth we're going to allow in. If you're weighing out, you know what, I can do this thing and I can do that thing. If you're weighing out how much sin that he will tolerate, you have missed the understanding of our God. He is holy and he's just and he's perfect and he's pristine and he doesn't stoop down to men in our sin. He comes as the forgiveness of sin. We need a savior because of who God is. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last And the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. How sad. How sad. I read that. I'm not mad at them. How sad. They missed it. They were at the start of the the greatest movement. They were at the formation of the church. They were where the apostles are speaking the word of God. They were where the the spirit of God is empowering. They were there and outside the church, there's a couple and their graves are testimonies to their disbelief. They didn't know. They tested God. How sad. It was that big of a deal. Verse 11, and great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. The whole church, great fear came over them. But as the church went back around their daily lives, as folks said, you know, we heard what happened. We heard what happened. Great fear came over them as well. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Third point of the message is this. Satan is serious about the church. God is serious about the church. Third point of the message is this. We are to be serious about the church. We are to be serious about the church. Now what that means practically is we are to be thoughtful about how we live 
and how that reflects on his church. You don't get a free pass. You have to be thoughtful of the name you carry, the name of the church, the name of Jesus Christ. It means we're to be thoughtful of how we serve in the church. Listen to me. We have to be thoughtful of how we serve in the church and how it benefits the church. He's serious about the church. Are you serious about the church? We have to be thoughtful about our service of the church and how we are benefiting the church. Let me just ask this. Are you benefiting the church? Are you benefiting the church? We ought to be thoughtful about that. We have to be careful about how we treat the church. We have to be careful about how we talk about the church. We run around and say, well, this thing and that thing and this thing and that thing, and we're talking about the body of Christ. We have to be careful about how we talk about the church. We have to be careful as individuals of how we hold the church. It is the marvelous body of Christ. It is led by and empowered the Spirit of God and how I hold the church, how I see the church, not that it's a duty, not that it's an unnecessary thing that I can come and I can go. We have to be thoughtful about how we hold the church. It is the plan of God. It is the body of Christ. It's led by and it's filled and it's empowered by the spirit of God. It's the steward of the truth, the proclaimer of the gospel. We're to be serious about the church. Are you serious? Are you serious? Because eternities hang in the balance. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today. And I'm thankful for the church. The blessing of your church. Lord, we wouldn't make it without the church. The direction of the church, the encouragement of the church, the prayers of the saints of the church. But our world would perish without the gospel of the church, Lord. And I, I pray that we would see today that Satan is serious about the church and we would be on guard for that. And we wouldn't add gas to his fire. Lord, I pray that we would see that God is serious about the church, that, that you're, Lord, you're serious about the church. And Lord, I pray that all of that and understanding the weight and the implication and eternities that hang in the balance we as believers that we would be serious about the church, serious about our benefit to it, serious about our commitment to it, serious about how we treat it, how we care for it, serious about how we reflect on it. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray on this day, the day that I believe Satan has come for the church again. I pray that you encourage it. I pray that you strengthen it. I pray that you lead it, Lord. I ask that you use it. We open our hands in this church and we tell you our hope is in Jesus. That's the stance of this church. Our good news is in Jesus. That's the gospel of this church. Our power is in you, Lord. You're the, you're the power of our church. Our future is in you. You're coming for your church. And I pray until that day, I pray that we're faithful. I pray that we're committed. I pray that we're again useful in your hand. Now, I pray that a lost and dying world would benefit from the ministry of Calvary Baptist Church in Vernon, Texas. Help us in that. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.